biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset, holistic health. This is a show about getting better every single day. I'm on a mission, guys, to help over a million people get healthy and lose weight. Why? Because when you lose weight and get healthy, you have higher self-esteem. You have more self-confidence. And that person goes out and crushes their goal and starts living the highest version of themselves. And then they have way more impact on the world. All right, what's up, guys? I'm super excited today. I have got... My man, Steve Jordan, he, on the show today. He is the owner of Westwood Private Fitness Studios in LA. He, it's an exclusive boutique training center. He's also the podcast host of the Steve Jordan Experience. And he just released his new best-selling book, 22 Ways to Optimal Health and Fitness. Steve, welcome to the show, brother. It is awesome to be here, Joel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, we just connected recently and I just saw all the amazing things you were doing and I reached out to you and you were gracious enough to come on the show so and share some of your, your wisdom. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to share. I look forward to it. So, you know, I was reading your book and just learning more about you and, you know, it seems like you had a pretty easy life, huh? No, just kidding, right? Like just, <laughs> anybody it, hey, tells you, everything just worked out for you perfectly. Sunshines, right? rainbows, and butterflies, bro. That's all yeah, it's been. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, kind of talk about that, and like, I'm I'm always really curious, you know, how you got here in terms of fitness. Like, was there a day that you realized, like, this is what this is what I want to do? Like, mm. well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take, um, I'll go back several years uh, before that incident or the time that it kind of just turned on for me, knowing that I was going to do this for a career path and uh, for my life and profession. Um, it started when I was a kid, you know, when I was like 13, 14 years old, my buddies and I, we played sport. We were, you know, all pretty athletic. We all like hung around, like we didn't sit and play uh, at the time, Nintendo, Atari, uh, kind of dating myself there. I'm, I'm almost turning 48 years old. I just turned 40 um, and Nintendo was a big part of my life. So yeah. 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 I mean, and it was ours too. We had it, you know, we just didn't, oh, we didn't come home and like from school and go right to the play. We went to the playground and we played and we played, you know, football uh, in Pop Warner and, and, and middle school and high school. And so the point being in lacrosse, what we did is we started to play around with weights. Uh, my parents actually had uh, a universal weight stack in one of their extra rooms. And so my buddies and I would throw around weights and uh, we had no idea what we were doing. We just would push, pull, throw, you know, uh, squat, do things that just felt normal and natural. And we started looking it up, uh, you know, going to uh, books like at the time, Iron and uh, what else were some of the other ones? Um, uh, you know, these big bodybuilding books where some of these guys and gals were just enormous, you know, the the Ronnie Lotts and the, the Coleman's and the Arnold Schwarzeneggers. And, and we admired that. We admired what they were doing. And then, of course, you know, you hit puberty and you, you admire girls and, you know, girls liked guys that had nice bodies that, you know, you take off your shirt at the beach or the pool or while you're playing sport. And, you know, you end up oftentimes attracting some some of the ladies. So, you know, there was a lot of intrinsic motivation there. Um, and so we would just play around with it. And that's when it became, you know, something that I, I kind of found a natural knack for it. I was one of my friends that always put on like good size. I always was able to do things a little better. Um, you know, that athleticism I had portrayed into the, the weight room as well. Um, we would have, you know, benching competitions or, you know, how many you could do crunches you could do in a row. Um, and we just made it competitive and fun. 
that's where it started uh, kind of with that in a very um, kind of natural and organic way. Fast forward about three years, I was 19 years old, I was in college, and um, I was going into my sophomore year, and I went to go visit a friend of mine down at Johns Hopkins University, who was the starting quarterback for them. I grew up with him. He was the quarterback of my team. I played with him my whole life since Pop Warner in fifth grade. He was playing another friend of ours uh, who was a wide receiver at another uh, university, and it was kind of a really cool experience. The two guys growing up together one a star receiver, the other star quarterback. Let's go support them. So a bunch of our friends merged from other universities and came in together. And uh, we had a fun night. Well, that fun night turned into a life-changing experience for me. Um, I, you know, I was, was drinking, not going to lie. I was having fun with uh, my friends. And we were on top of a two-story balcony where we shouldn't have been on. There was no railing. The only access was through a window. But there was a place. It was a place where people were kind of getting together and and, and kind of meeting um, and having fun and enjoying themselves. And we were on there, and a buddy of mine and I, we got a little too close to the edge, kind of roughhousing, sort of you know, you push each other, doing stupid stuff at 19 years old. Boys do. And I fell off, and I landed 19 feet onto my head, literally on my head and was left there lying dead with a traumatic brain injury, losing spinal cord fluid, gray matter coming out of my ears, bleeding out of several orifices in my head. And um, fortunately, in a good place, right place, wrong place at the right time, I was at you know Baltimore where some of the best doctors in the world were, and I was ambulanced to uh, the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center where I had to undergo emergency brain surgery to save my life. And uh, from that point on, you know, we'll, I won't get into too much detail now because you might have some questions, but, um, you know, my recovery started when I woke up out of a coma-induced state and realized the situation I was in, I had to make a decision, a choice, whether that I was going to live with the way that I was, or I was going to do anything in my power that I could do to overcome and be a better version of myself prior to even the accident, like the best version of myself. And how do I override this? How do I overcome it? How do I persevere and challenge myself. And I made that decision then and there. And then when I was released from the hospital about six weeks later, my, um, my, my instinct was to go to fitness, was to go to moving weights, was to go to nutrition, was to go to mindset. And I started to embrace and encompass all of that and start to study and research and look and just start to play around. And miraculous things were happening. And that's where I made the choice that this was a career path that I wanted to make and how fitness not only makes you look good. And I wanted to tell you that story, you know, before about girls and um, how, how, you know, having fun with friends and competition. Now, fitness was something that was going to save my life. And that's where I made this, you know, paradigm shift where I can use fitness as a way to save myself to recover. But I also looked back at, you know, fitness and sport and all those experiences I had prior led me to the experience of being able to have the mindset to think about the way that I needed and wanted to recover. Um, if I hadn't had the fitness experience prior, if I hadn't had the sport experience prior, if I hadn't had the breakdowns prior um, and the breakthroughs, I wouldn't have been able to really understand the process. Um, this was just another challenge in life worst challenge of my life, but one of the greatest gifts and lessons I've learned still to this date, um, how am I going to overcome this? And that was the point that I made that decision. And I went back to school and started studying and became, uh, you know, certified and got a degree in kinesiology and, you know, say la vie and the path has been, you know, written since. That's amazing. You know, I can totally relate. I, I, when I was 18 years old, I 
that that's what happened to me. I got into bodybuilding because I I was in this identity crisis. I didn't know who I was. I wasn't a jock, but I wasn't a nerd. I was kind of in the middle. And I'm like, I was watching one of my friends work out and lift weights. And I was like, I want girls to like me more. And this seems like a good way to do it. And I got into Muscle and Fitness Magazine and just poured into it. And it's funny, like you said, you know, if I go back to, that's just a normal 18-year-old boy, you know, man mentality. And luckily, I really think that was what a great experience. And I'm glad I did that because that I built those habits early on. And now that I'm 40, I don't necessarily care about like, I'm not, I'm married. I have two kids. I feel great about my life. I'm not looking for girls to look at me, but I'm so happy that I built those habits on early on because now you and I, where we're at in the age, man, if you don't have that dialed in with your health, you're going to have some real issues, you know, raising kids and then just the longevity aspect of wanting to thrive as we age. So yeah, what a great, what a great story to hear, to hear how it all uh, developed for you. Awesome. What did, did you end up competing? Did you do? No, no, I, I, I never got serious, but I mean that, and I said, I say bodybuilding just because that was, you know, now there's CrossFit and now there's yeah. all these different modalities and boot camps, but like, the way I learned or got into weightlifting was the bodybuilding, like isolation kind of style methods. Yeah. And I would just read them. I would be, you know, like you said, Ronnie Coleman, Lee priest, I would, whatever their workouts were, I'm doing it in muscle and fitness. I'm just doing six times a week. I'm going to the gym. And that was just the mentality. And that was kind of like group got me into the health coaching space was awesome. That startup. So awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think that for a lot of people in our industry, at least, uh, we all can kind of go there. You know, we all have been there. Like there's some reason that we are in what we're doing and we love to help people. Um, you know, I helped myself and I saw the benefits of it and I love to serve. I love to help people. And my goal and even writing this book since I've been, since I made the choice 25, 26 years ago to be in this industry and be a professional in it was to change people's lives. And that makes me happier than anything. When I can have somebody do something or be way that they are better by meeting me and being coached by me um, and, you know, be experiencing the, the work that I do. So it's awesome. Yeah. Love that. Before we jump into the book, I wanted to ask you just going yeah. back to your story, you know, it's, it's such a crazy experience that you wake up in, in such a, you know, debilitated state. I'm just curious, do you remember like what the conversation was like in your head? Like what was the self-talk? What were you telling yourself at this time? when, I mean, I'm sure doctors, I mean, I don't know what they were telling you. Like, Hey, Steve, you, you may never walk again. You, I mean, like, how did you get over that? Or what were you telling yourself? Like, it's going to be okay. Like that's a tough spot to be in. I don't remember my personal mindset at that time when I woke up, but I remember my parents mindset and what they were like. Right. So your, your family, my family was so important to my recovery and the, the initial process of, of creating a mindset. I had no idea what happened. I woke up with complete, no recollection of what happened. Um, I, I was in disbelief, but my parents, you know, lying by my bedside, sitting by my bedside, um, you know, throughout the entire process, you know, just said, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You know? And so, um, but doctors, yeah, were telling me I wasn't going to be able to go back to school, that I was going to be paralyzed, that I wasn't going to be able to move my face again. I had Bell's palsy, facial paralysis, where I couldn't move the left side of my face. And I remember one afternoon, the doctors, the ENT and neurosurgeon uh, who came, who did my initial surgery, came into my room and said, you know, Stephen, we need to do another brain surgery. We need to do it pretty quick because if we don't get that nerve to regenerate 
we need to, you're, you're, you're going to be paralyzed and your face is going to be deformed for the rest of your life. I couldn't even close my eye when I would went to sleep at night. I couldn't eat properly. Uh, so they were hoping to do this nerve replacement that would get 50 to 70% recovery of the nerve. So I was still going to be impaired. I was still going to look deformed. I was going to be paralyzed to a degree if it worked. Um, and that was the, you know, the, the, the million dollar question, is this going to work? But they said that they had to do it. Otherwise there was just no chance. Yeah. I remember that moment, um, realizing the severity of what I was in. And this was maybe a week after my initial brain surgery. I was still in intensive care. That night, I looked into the mirror and for the very first time and realizing what had happened, I looked at my head, the size of a basketball swollen, over 100 staples and stitches that had sewn my head together from the surgery, from the impact, uh, and from some other lacerations from, you know, the, the fall, and just couldn't recognize myself. You know, I, I was just there in awe and disbelief at what was going on in my reality at that moment. I, had, I started to cry and... You know, I kind of had this moment of just release of acceptance and, and, and really realizing that state that I was in. But then I didn't want to accept that. There was something in me, and I don't know. I wish I could tell you, Joel, that like I, I wish I could go back to that moment in time. I've, I've thought about maybe going to hypnotherapy and, and finding the, this like moment of something that inspired me. I call it a divine intervention or a God intervention, something that inspired me, motivated me, encouraged me to make some kind of lip movement, to move my lip. It wasn't a conscious thought. It wasn't like, well, I'm going to prove everybody wrong and I'm not going to, I don't want that surgery. So I'm going to do this movement on my lip. Didn't happen that way at all. Something inspired me and I was there staring at myself in this mirror and I tried to get my lip to move and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen until one time. And I don't know if it was the fifth time or the 10th time, but something in that moment allowed my lip to move. Like I got some firing out of that neuron, out of that, you know, connection, that mind muscle connection that made my lip move just enough to where like something sparked inside me. And I had this aha moment and I did it again and again and again and again to where I was like, I got my lip to move. That's pretty impressive. I went to sleep the next day, my parents come to the hospital in the room and they're like, all right, we need to go see the doctors and talk about the surgery. And I said, okay, well, I just want to let you guys know that I was able to move my lip. And they're like, okay, well, let's tell the doctors. They weren't like, oh my God, this is a miracle. Like we didn't know anything from anything, right? I mean, this is the first time any of our family has been in any situation like this. So we get to the doctor's office and doctors are like, you know, we, we have to do the surgery based on the CAT scans and MRIs. This nerve is completely damaged and impaired. This is a surgery. We're going to replace it. We're going to take a nerve from your peroneal uh, nerve, which is near your calf, and we're going to replace it into your head where that facial nerve is. And we're hoping to get this 50 to 70% regeneration. This is going to be, you know, very risky and serious surgery, blah, blah, blah. Um, and my parents said, okay, well, Stephen last night was said he was able to move his lip. And they're like, that's not possible. And my mom said, Stephen, show him. And I went, if you're watching, if this is on YouTube or anywhere, like I went like this. And I was able to move my lip just enough like I did that night before. The ENT said, oh, my God, you're a miracle. Stood up from his desk, put his hand on my shoulder, and walked out of the room. The neurosurgeon was in disbelief, made me do it over and over again, and then said, listen, kid, you know what? Here's a bunch of facial exercises. Gave me this list, like this kind of pamphlet of these facial exercises. Do these facial exercises, and I'll see you in two months. Um, and it was like, I'm now 
my 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 motive, my motivation. Now this is where the light turned on for me, literally and figuratively. Like I'm going to recover. This is not going to hold me back. And I went and I did these facial exercises, making silly sounds like moo, ma, me, where you're moving your lip in ways and mouth in ways that exercise a muscle. Like if you had a you know, muscle impaired in any other part of your body, you're doing rehab. I had to do rehab on my face and there was no facial rehab experts. So I had to do this on my own and find the mindset and the, and the, and the ability and, and make the time and make it a priority and do it and do it and do it and do it. And within a year, I mean, if you look, I have almost all of the movement back in my, in my face, except for like a little bit on my left side where it doesn't go down as deep. Like if I take a bite of a hamburger, I have to push the lip down. Otherwise I'd bite my lip. But for the most part, no one would ever know. And I recovered it. And that, again, was sort of this like light turned on of the power of your mindset, the power of your intention and your purpose. Why? And that for me was to recover. And, you know, by doing the work, you're going to get the results. Dude, amazing. I could I could end the interview right now. And this <laughs> to me, I think everybody just got enough. I'm, I'm so um I'm just blown away with what you said. Your story reminds me, by the way, I think you have another book. It's right there. You could write a book just on that. I think it's an amazing story. People should hear it, but it reminds me of Hal Elrod. I don't know if you, you've uh, crossed any of his work, but he, um, he's like a motivational speaker and stuff right now. He's got two books. One of them is called the miracle morning. That was really, I've heard of that book. Yeah, I'm sure you have. And uh, he came out with a second book called the miracle mindset. And this was after, he was diagnosed with some like ridiculous rare form of cancer. And I can't remember what it was. It was basically a death sentence. They told him you're, you have a 70% chance that you're, you're going to like die in the next couple of years. And he, you know, you get that news kind of like you, you got. And he thought I, I've done stuff like this before his, the miracle morning talks about where he, he got in a horrific car accident and was hit by a drunk driver. And, uh, you know, they said he was paralyzed. He would never walk again, similar to you. So yeah. he beat that. And he said to himself, I, if I've done it before, I can do it again. And he said, when you want to create miracles in the world, you have to have two things. You have to have an extraordinary effort and unwavering faith. And if you have those two things, you can make miracles happen. And it just shows to what you, you're an testament to that brother. Awesome. Thank you. And I appreciate you sharing that. I've, I've heard about that book, miracle, uh, the miracle morning. Um, and it is true, like anything in life is possible. You don't know what the outcome is. I didn't think about my outcome. My outcome, like, yes, I wanted to have full recovery of my face, but that wasn't what I was thinking about on a daily basis, right? It's not like when somebody wants to lose weight and let's say 20 pounds, you're not thinking about the end goal. Like you're, you gotta think about the first pounds. You know, what are you doing now? What am I doing today? How am I gonna, what choices am I making today? to be the best version of myself, to, to be better than I was yesterday, to make it better, to do more and just let the cars fall as they will and just do your best. And, 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 you know, I feel like the law of giving and receiving, if you put the effort in, you're going to get the results back. hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. You just came out with this amazing book, 22 Ways to Optimal Health and Fitness. I'm writing a book. I just told you I was jealous the way you set it up because it was beautiful. It's, it's, it's simple. It's easy. People can just – it's a great little manual, great little guide, and it gives you these bite-sized nuggets that if you, you, you start to use these, you got the blueprint for living an optimal life. Why did you decide to write it? 
You know, I've been wanting to write a book for a while. I've been told I should write a book for over a decade. Um, you know, my life events and stories, um, you know, that one that I shared there, which is only, you know, a portion of the story. And if you want to learn more about it, it's actually in the book. And it's also on my podcast episodes number two and three on the Steve Jordan experience. You can hear in great detail more about that story. Um, but, you know, I, I felt there was a calling that I wanted to do more, that I wanted to give back, that I wanted to share the life experiences, the results that I've had, the extraordinary success that I've had in my career and put it in a way that I felt was going to be, you know, well received. So I started writing a book like four years ago. It was like intentional. I'm going to sit and write this book and life happens. And you start writing for a week or two and you're in this mojo. You got momentum. Everything's going great. You see it ending but then life gets in the way, things happen, and then you stop for a week or two, and then you try and pick it back up, or you go back to pick it back up, and you can't. Like, you just lost your mojo. Like, you lost your momentum. It's really hard to find the flow of writing again. So um, I started, stopped, started, stopped so many times. Like, I mean, at least a half a dozen times. And I would even sometimes change the title because, like, my mindset changed or the way I approached it would change. And I finally finished the book. And I gave it to a book agent, um, someone that I know who uh, was willing to like, you know, kind of put his seal of approval behind it and, and, and help me get it sold and so on and so forth. And I sent it to him real excited. And he calls me the next day and he goes, I started reading your book about five minutes in. I just had to put it down because I just felt there was no flow to it. It was honestly terrible. And I was like, oh my God, like really? <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Um, I'd rather be dropped for, off. I'd rather fall 19 feet on my head. Thanks for telling yeah, me. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Well, listen, you know what? Honesty is brutal sometimes, but that's what they do. They need to be honest. They're not going to sugarcoat anything. They're putting their name behind it. You know, they're agents um, and, you know, they want to make sure that whatever they put their name behind or they're going to put effort into to try and market or sell, they want to make sure it's great. So um, he's like, but listen, just rewrite it, do this, do that. He kind of gave me some guidelines and tips, but I got to be honest, I felt deflated. I felt like really like unmotivated to do this. And I'm like, maybe I'm just not a writer. I'm better at podcasting. I'm better at training, better at doing what I do, public speaking. It's more natural to me. This isn't maybe the way the, the format or, or medium that is, you know, is good. So I sidelined it. And I sat for almost a year without doing anything. And one afternoon, I got an email from Joel Osteen, who's been somebody in my life who has picked me up when I've been down, um, listening to his podcast, listening to his sermons, uh, reading some of his books. And so I'm on his mailing list. And I got this, I got this, uh, uh, in, or not, not invite, but a, a, um, a promotion for his newest, latest book. And he's got dozens of books. And it was called 55 Ways to Be Blessed and Not Stressed. And I was like, oh, that's a cool title. Like, it's kind of catchy. You know, it like caught my attention. I've seen half a dozen, at least other books that he had been promoting and it never caught my attention. But this one did. And I was like, I could do that. I'm like, I should do that. Like, that was literally the conversation I had in my mind. I'm like, that should be my next book. I'm like, I think I'm going to do that. And if you notice my language, like, I was like, I should do that. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, I, like. I had this still self-doubt, this reservation to commit because I was afraid of failing. But what I did in that moment is I just flipped my mind like I did when I recovered from that facial paralysis is I said, I am going to do this and I'm not going to let anything get in the way. So what Steve does is, well, I'm going to be better. I'm going to do 99 ways of, you know, and 
how and what words can I use to sort of like create this, you know, play on words? You know, what do I do and how do I? So I came up like this 99 ways. So I sat down and wrote one 99 ways to be healthy and fit. This is what I do every single day. This is what I coach people. So it's going to come naturally. It's not going to be hard. I wrote the first one and I was like, this is going to take me forever to do and I'm never going to finish it. So I went back to the internet and I looked at the power of numbers and saw, you know, the marketing and numbers and the way that numbers are, you know, uh, in our subconscious mind. And 22 happened to be a powerful number of marketing and its, its ability to attract people and to like stick with people, the stickiness of it. And we were just kind of in 2022. I started this in February, 2022. And I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. It's, you know, 2022, 22 ways. It's easy. It's short. It's attainable. Just like, as you know, when you're getting somebody to help lose weight, you know, you don't want, if the goal is 50 or 20, again, you start with the first pound, you start with 10 pounds, you see the small achievable goals. So I went with 22 ways to optimal health and fitness, and I completed it in three weeks. So every day I wrote two ways and I have a bonus way in there. And these are the ways that I have used through my entire career that I know that work without a shadow of a doubt that help people in all areas, whether they want to lose weight, whether we want to perform better, whether they want to look better, whether they want to be better, um, mind, body, spirit, and soul, all of these in here are proven, effective, simple, actionable ways that can be done today. And after each chapter, I give a fit tip, a way that you can apply it today in your life so that you can start taking immediate action and have the results that you want to live a healthy and fit life. And it's imperative. As you can see, that story that I shared, living healthy and fit and like like what you had in your intro, it's important. It is the foundation. If we didn't learn in the past two and a half, three years from the pandemic that our health and our wellness is important to us, and I used wellness there rather than fitness, like fitness is part of wellness. Wellness is a bigger umbrella. You know, it's fitness because fitness is life and it's, you know, you should move. You have to move. You got to be strong. You got to be agile. You got to have balance. You have to have coordination. It, no matter who you are, what age, what your intentions are in life. So this is the blueprint and the foundation to living a life that you deserve to live and you should do. I mean, there's, there's really no reason why anybody shouldn't read. It's like some of the things that I thought about, like, who's my audience, you know, like everybody's my audience. You know, because everybody should be healthy and fit. Everybody in this who reads this book can have it. Man, women, whether you're 10 years old or 50 years old or 100 years old. So all these ways in here are ways that I know that have been proven through my like through my 26 plus years of career and success doing it. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, like I said, they're they're easy. They're digestible. I mean, you could read the book in a day. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, and okay. let me let me make a yeah, point there. You know, I, and I did it that way, obviously, in the way that it was designed. But that's the way we absorb information today. People like I, I'm sure like you, you pick up a book and you read it from cover to like page 100 and then you put it down and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like eh, I don't need it. I got enough out of this already, you know, like or you just sometimes you never finish a book. And that's, you know, the way that our minds are because of social media, these short bits, like sound bites of information is the way that we absorb it better. And that's what my intention was with this make it easy, make it palatable. Use, do it one a day, you know, and you'll have exactly. new ways. You don't have to do all of them. Even if you do 20% of them, you pick out three or four in there that you really like resonate with you and you do those, you'll have an extraordinary life and you'll live better. hundred percent. Okay, you got 22 ways. I'm just curious, if you could only pick one, 
What would what would one of those ways? What would be the number one thing you'd prioritize or tell someone, you know, that they should do to optimize their health? It's chapter one. I knew I'd be asked that question somewhere. Um, and, and, and it is, uh, you know, I would say all of them, but it, obviously I can't. Um, but the first chapter, know your why, your purpose. What is your purpose and your why, right? And so I, I say, why did you pick up this book? Why did you read this? Why did it attract you? What is your burning desire? In my story before, my burning desire was to look better, to feel better, to, to recover fully from that accident and the facial paralysis so that I can lead a normal life. Not an extraordinary life, a normal life at that time. That's all I was, that was all that was important to me. But it was so important that I was willing to do anything and I did everything I could within my mindset, my power, nutrition, fitness, wellness, all of the above to be able to do that. So know your why. Why are you getting involved in it? If you don't know your why, it's just going to be, it's just going to be information. And that information is good, but it's only potential power. Like people say information is power. It's only potential power. You have to put it in action. You don't know your why, then it's really the purpose isn't going to be good. It's a nice to know, but it's not a need to know. If you know your why, everything else in there will be a need to know. And it'll motivate you and inspire you to follow through on the steps and fully and be fulfilled and 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 use the book as the intention in the way that it was intended to be used. Hundred percent. Because if you don't know your why, and you know this from your twenty six years in the business, I'm sure you've come across a lot of people who didn't know their why, and you could give them all the exercise tips, all the fitness, all the nutritional tips, but if their why was weak. They weren't showing up. They weren't consistent. They weren't coming to see you over and over again. And then their results spoke for themselves. So I couldn't agree more. Right. I, I love that you emphasize that. And yeah, I, had a feeling, I had a feeling you would. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, you know, don't wait until you get the bad medical report. Don't wait for the accident to happen. Don't wait for the breakdown in life to happen to where that why then has to be where then you have to find the why in the midst of a, of a storm, mm. find the why now. And the why could be, you know, I want to live to a hundred, right? I want to live disease-free. My parents had cardi, uh, cardiovascular disease. They had high blood pressure, hypertension, whatever it is. They, um, you know, look at your genetic makeup, look at your family history. If your family history had cancer in it, like I want to live a life cancer-free, I, you know, look at the history. Don't let history repeat itself. Be the person in your genetic codes, in your family history to break the chain, to break the cycle and do that. Make that your why if you don't have a deep burning desire, because if you want to live healthy, you want to live fit, you want to be and live your best life being disease free and disease. We can, you know, we look at all the major ones, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and now metabolic disease. Um, if you look at just those five, you, you can, you want to focus on any of those, there's a big enough reason to be healthy and fit. And I typically, you know, one out of every, like, I would say one degree of separation, somebody in your family has had some type of, of, of disease or metabol like disease that's going to be impairing them for the rest of their life, not living the life that they should live. So make that your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You talk about in the book, you talk about uh, diet or you actually give uh, some, just some easy, simple advice to take. And I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, you, again, I, I love asking these questions to someone like you because you've seen all the fads, you've seen all the trends, you know, what works and what doesn't. And you mentioned, uh, you, you gave that quote of Michael Pollan, which I think is, is, is wonderful, you know, eat food, mostly plants. Yes. Um, but Steve, 
why not the carnivore diet? Why not keto? Um, uh, you know, that's all the rage right now. I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts and what have you seen over time that, it, why did you say plants mostly uh, yeah. in your, I'm just curious, like, what was your mind? What was, what was kind of the thought process there? Awesome. Well, you know, I, I, I do believe that having a balanced diet, right? Not just all plants. I don't believe in vegetarianism, veganism, or, um, you know, being so strict in any diet is going to be the right way. You got to live by like an 80, 20 rule. And, you know, plants are, are just high in antioxidants. They are more absorbable by the body. We can get all of our micro macronutrients from the plants. Um, oftentimes the sources of protein that we're eating are not coming from great places. So we need to think about the sources of some of the animal proteins. Um, keto diet is great. It's been around for a long time under different names and variations of it. I like keto based on certain things, but it's only short term. It's really hard. And it's also hard on the body and the kidneys. If you do keto for a long period of time. Um, I also believe, I think the Mediterranean diet is probably one of the best diets out there long-term other ones become fads. They're not lifestyles. That's the biggest thing. Lifestyles are more important to me than just these fad diets. Lifestyle, you can eat plants for the rest of your life. I mean, since we were kids growing up, we always had to have eat your vegetables, eat your peas, eat your greens, have a salad. I mean, vegetables have been around at the beginning of time. When I say eat mostly plants, mostly vegetables, when you have a plate and you have, let's say, a uh, chicken breast on there, it should be 20, 30% the size of your plate, and then 70% of it should be vegetables. Vegetables can also be you know, root vegetables from like sweet potatoes or um, uh, even corn or, or whatever it is, but like having something there that's going to be more from plant and resources from earth, mother earth. If it flies, if it swims, and if it um, flies, swims, and crawls, those are things that we want to be able to like stay, we want to eat as well. It's really important to be able to do that. So I think a lot of things are really just fatty, um, like fatty meaning like they're just gimmicky in the moment. Some people lose weight. I mean, think about it. there's millions of books out there. There's hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars spent every year on diets and diets alone. And many of them don't work. It's the lifestyle approach that we create. And mostly plants is going to help you do that. It's the best way that I've known. It's way that it's worked for me. And it works for all the clients that I've worked with. So I, I stick that. to that. And it's just the way that I know that works best. I love that, brother. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing. What's your opinion on that? So, you know, what's funny is I've, I am, I love to geek out on all this stuff and I've, I've gone through all the fads. If you were, I haven't actually experimented with carnivore. Um, and I wouldn't mind doing it. I know. I, I mean, I would just do it for like a month just to see what, what does it feel like? Right. Um, but you know, I think uh, I'll tell you what I recommend for my clients. And I was really happy. I, I pretty much Mediterranean and that's yeah. what I see works pretty much across the board. Now, if it doesn't work, you and I both know this, there's probably something going on in the gut and there's some gut dysbiosis and no problem. Let's just clean that up. And then you can probably start eating some of those, those plants again. So absolutely, th that's the way I look at it. And I think I'm with you. It's all about lifestyle. I've done cyclical kind of keto and I'm relatively low carb, but I don't track anything. I'm not dogmatic. And I've been doing that for the last nine years since I've had, I have two young boys and I can only work out 10 to 20 minutes a day. I tell people they're like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, because my lifestyle, like you mentioned, is dialed in. And mm. so even if I don't eat a hundred percent, um, I have some sugar or something in my diet, it's not going to kill me because I'm doing everything else pretty, 
pretty right. The 80-20, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Your body's very resilient and it will bounce back from almost anything. You know, if you're like eating healthy for most of the time, you know, 80-20, like you eat something, a slice of pizza, turkey, burger, whatever, like you're going to have, you're going to bounce back. It's going to be no big deal. Your body's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, it's being I, I, consistent. You got to be consistent. 100%. That's the other thing was, you know, that's what we say when we say lifestyle, when we say lifestyle, it means that's part of your life. It's just like you, you, you do this all the time. It's not a sometimes thing. Mm, I love that. You know, I was going to ask you too, actually, and it, maybe that was what, what you'd say to the, I was going to ask you, is there something that you see that clients or just people that come through your doors, that's like, Maybe you even mentioned in the book, but it's just something that's overlooked as that's not that important, but actually it really is. Is there mm. some? And I know you mentioned mindset already, but I don't know if there'd be something different that that comes across your mind. Yeah, I think um, you know follow through comes to mind is was something there. We're, you know, we're we're we tend to start when people start really good, right? It's not how you start; it's how you finish. Um, you know, even in that workout when, you know, you're 40 minutes in, or in your case, you're 10 minutes in and you got five minutes left, like those last five minutes are going to be the most important. That's where the results are really going to happen. If you're working out for 45 minutes or an hour, those last 10 minutes, when you, most people are giving up and they're quitting or they're not putting in their best effort at the end, that follow through is most important. So I really emphasize when I'm working with my clients is follow through, finish strong, right? We, we always finish, we always start strong, always start with great intentions, but it's, we got to finish stronger. So that would be something that I think that many people overlook or they're not that necessarily aware of, but it's something that I tend to really bring to the attention about, um, you know, in anything that we're doing, let's finish strong. Yeah. And I actually, I want to, I love that you said that. And I want to highlight something about you that maybe wasn't really mentioned at the beginning of the episode. And that is the clientele that you're working with is like really high end clientele. You're working with some like actors and actresses and in Hollywood and, and some of, and some of the best in the business. I mean, they're flying you around to be their personal trainer. Like they really trust you because of your results and, and what you stand for and what, and what you provide. And, you know, I'm just curious in your experience, you know, is there anything that like from working with some of these high end clients, is there anything that like just stands out differently or that, that they do differently that then maybe the average person doesn't? Uh, that's, an, that's an interesting question. Um, I never thought about that, but you know, I'm going to say no, they're people just like you and me. Um, you know, yes, I've had some really amazing clients and I've got some really awesome experiences and, uh, you know, many of these clients people see on TV on a regular basis or hear on the radio. And it's really cool. And it makes me think that, you know, um, you know, I've got an amazing opportunity here and I'm so grateful for it. But they are no different. They don't really think differently. They don't act differently. Um, they might be they might have higher standards. This is the only thing that may come that comes to mind is their standards are higher. So what does that mean? It means that they expect a little bit more, um, you know, their personal standards for themselves are typically higher because to achieve the level of success that they've had, they have to have personal standards that are high, mainly like maybe they got a good break. Maybe they got lucky. Maybe they were the right place at the right time. But in order to have that success, you have to have a high standard result, meaning you're going to follow through. You're going to finish strong. You're going to show up on time. You're going to do what you're told. You're going to be coachable. You're going to, 
you're going to do all the things that you need to. So sometimes it becomes, I don't want to say easier coaching them, but it becomes more, um, it becomes a more reciprocating experience, right? So when you coach somebody and you tell them to go do something or they should do this and they do it and follow through, man, that fires you up and it motivates you. And you're like, all right, we're going to keep going with this. But when they come back and they're like, oh, I didn't do it. Well, kind of like, it almost, you know, like, I don't know about you, but for me, like a few times I'm like, okay, let's start, let's do this again. Maybe make it a little easier and you tweak it. But when it becomes consistent over and over again, and they're just not doing it because they don't care because their why isn't big enough, then, you know, they're, it becomes deflating and you don't get as motivated and you're not really that into coaching them. But when yeah. I work with these clients, oftentimes their whys are big enough. And that's the one thing that I can say, like someone would say, what did you do with this person? They looked so good here. They did that. I want to do that. And I'm like, we are doing everything that they're doing. It's just maybe their why was bigger. Maybe they mm -hmm. needed it more because they knew that if they didn't do it, they weren't going to be hired on the next job or they were going to be fired from this job or they needed to perform at their best or they just knew that was part of the character or whoever they needed and wanted to be at that time. That was part of it. And it was a big why. Your why has to be similar, you know, and it's hard sometimes for people to, to find that. And I get that. It's not easy, even for myself. Like, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to get to the gym or to eat healthy when there's something that's staring me in the face that's going to taste really good or it's like, go eat that. That's not going to be as tasty. And, but I know better off, I'll sleep better and I'll perform better and have better focus and uh, the ability to follow through and finish strong and all the things that I do. I love that. That is, that is so insightful. Amazing stuff. Um, a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up. We'll go into some lightning round questions. Um, you know, you just came out with this great book. Any other exciting projects that you're working on right now? Other than the book that you just um, yeah, I've got a retreat that I'm doing on December first to the fourth at Canyon Ranch at their Woodside location. Canyon Ranch is a uh, luxury resort. I've been working with them for the past four years, and um, I'm excited about this one. It's my second time at this particular location. It's set in the woods uh, up near Palo Alto, and uh, it's bound to be an awesome experience. Um, if you're interested in it, go to canyonranch.com uh, and go to their Woodside location. You can see the events and what the, I'll be offering there. Um, I do typically on this particular one, I'm going to be doing three lectures and three um, experiences. So whether it's a workout and or some other mind, muscle, body connection uh, type experience, um, I'll be doing that as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm getting planned and prepped for that. And I'm looking forward to 2023. Um, you know, as we close uh, 2022, um, I'm ex possibly going to open a studio in Orange County. So I've owned my wow. fitness studio, Westwood Private Fitness, uh, for 16 years. Um, I live in Orange County now. I moved here about a year and a half ago. I still run and operate that up there. I have a team up there that's working with a lot of clients. Um, and uh, I potentially have an opportunity down here to open up something. So I haven't yet made that full decision yet. And we'll see what happens. That's awesome. And then let's jump into some lightning round questions. But before I get to that, is there just anything else that I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Um, no, I think that's it. Yeah, that's okay. all great questions so far. Yeah, brother. Well, I'm curious, man. You know, what are, you know, what are some choices or maybe a choice that you think that you made that made you who you are today? Well, definitely the one that I shared earlier about making that choice to, to fully recover in that moment. You know, when um, you're, you're faced in this situation of, uh, you have tremendous fear, um, doubt, 
Um, even when some of the best doctors in the world are telling you that there is very little hope or doubt, like being able to find that, that strength from within, that's something that sparked from within um, and, you know, kind of just march the beat of your own drum um, and, and choose the path of least resist or choose the path of least resistance or the, you know, the road, take the road less traveled. That's, that was something that I, I feel was huge. Um, other choices I made moving to Los Angeles. So I was, I'm an East coast born raised guy, New Jersey born and raised, went to school at the university of Maryland, and then went to New York city, uh, where I started my career and did exceptionally well there and had a lot of really great things going on. And I remember, you know, I, I was living with a girlfriend and I had all these really great things going on and, um, nothing was wrong, but there was something calling me to California and it was really wanting to be, uh, in a location where I could be a big fish in a in a big pond where I could, you know, swim with the people that are really creating the information and, and having the influence in the industry rather than being on the other side of it. I wanted to be the one in being the influencer. And at the time when influencer was not even a word, right. um, you know, that was a big decision in my career. I left family. I left, uh, you know, a very comfortable life and clients and people that really cared for me and I cared for um, to an unknown. And it took a long time, several years, if not more, half a dozen years to really kind of find my footing here. And, um, it's been now almost 21 years and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that decision as well. Um, and then, you know, finally, um, on a more personal note, but professionally as well is you know, making a decision to commit to marry my wife and, um, you know, finding that, uh, that commitment in relationship is important. Uh, because you got to, you know, if they say behind every successful man or woman is a successful, is someone, a powerful woman or man, you know, supporting them, um, you know, she helps me be a better person. Uh, we have a newborn son now. Um, he's four months old and, you know, we're living in that new space and being parents. Um, it's important to find, you know, that stability uh, emotionally as well, um, you know, because I think in a world today where social media and life is so dictated by what we see and the best versions of people or the inflated versions of people yeah. and the inflated versions or the experiences of people, you know, you can tend to find yourself very alone and very scared and, and, and comparing. Um, it's natural, although, you know, you try not to, it's still a natural thing for us to do. Um, you know, but when you have somebody in your life that can uh, ground you and keep you grounded and you support each other, um, I think that's, you know, something really important that you need to have. So um, those three choices, I think, would be my top three. Huge, huge, brother. You know, you're doing such awesome work in the health and wellness world. I'm just curious, like, is there anybody that inspires you or that you follow in the health and wellness world? Yeah, you know, I'm um, I'm inspired by everybody. I don't have, you know, it's interesting, I have very few mentors. Um, and it's not because I haven't wanted that, because I've taken a path in my business that is kind of, has been true to who I am. Um, it's hard for, you know, people like... I, I look up to you, someone who's got a great podcast, a great business, and, and you know, doing what you're doing. I can tell you're very passionate and successful at what you're doing. You've got a great following, and I think that's huge. I admire that. Um, I think there's something that you can find in anybody and everybody. Um, you know, I found it hard to find a one particular person, you know, and or mentor 
two was doing the exact same thing or what I wanted to do in the way that I wanted to do it. Um, you know, I've had mentors at times. I've had coaches at times. I've had people in my life at times that I looked up to and I, you know, was able to learn from them and was able to kind of model some of the things I was doing, but eventually it was down my own path, you know, and I went my own way, my own route. Um, do I think it's the best way? Not necessarily because I do coach people to tell them to find a mentor or somebody that they can look up to because sure. I think it's really important. Um, but I've kind of found that this is what works best for me um, and my personality as well. So, yeah, great stuff. I am a big reader, as you can see behind me. And yeah. um, I'm just wondering, is there any books or any anything other than the Steve, other than your book, The yeah. 22 Ways of Optimal Health and Fitness, but is there anything that had a, any books that had a huge impact on your life that you'd recommend others read? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the first um, kind of self-help books that I ever read was the um, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Um, I read that in college and it was just a impactful way to understand the you know, the relationship between people and, and, and not just business, but in life in general, I highly recommend anybody to read that book. It doesn't even have, you don't have to Classic. be in this space or, or that. Um, the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra is also another awesome book that I love, um, that I've read, you know, numerous times and always go back to. And then one fun kind of nonfiction book that I love that still kind of, you know, is a mindset and spiritual awakening is, um, the Way of the Peaceful Warrior um, by Dan Millman um, was was one of the uh, very impactful book that I loved. And um, yeah, I'm constantly always trying to find new ways of, uh, you know, people who inspire me. Um, I listen to audiobooks now. Um, you know, let me see who do I have on my on my audio list right now that I'm kind of listening to. Um, oh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. That's another this great one. Um, yeah. I'm listening to right now, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, let's see, Tony Robbins. Uh, he's another big guy that I've loved. I mean, if you want to call him mentor, he'd maybe be one of the, if I would call somebody a mentor, he'd be one. Been in many of his programs uh, from life mastery to um, business mastery and uh, UPW several times. Always really great experiences. Um, and then last but not least, um, atomic habits is what I have in there too. Um, that was awesome. Uh, that's yeah. a great book James that clear. I think a lot of people should read. Yep. James clear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I tend to try and find something in the moment that inspires me. love it. I love that. Those are all good ones. All right. Last two questions. We'll wrap it up. Any rituals or hacks or practices that you do on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, I like to think a lot of things that I do. I look at some of these life hacks and biohacks that people were doing. I'm like, I've been doing this for 15 years <laughs> before it became, before biohacking or life hacking became a, uh, you know, a, a kind of a thing, just like influencer, um, water. I've been drinking water for 30 years. All I drink, um, you know, I, I tend well have an alcoholic drink maybe once or twice a month at that. I don't drink anything else, but that maybe a coffee here and there, but water, is essential. And I have that in my books, one of the chapters. Yeah. Um, and then um, what are the, I do athletic greens. I've been uh, drinking athletic greens every morning um, for the past six, seven years. I'm probably one of their first customers. 
Um, and it's something that I just do every single morning. So I drink a bottle of water and then I have my athletic greens and I drink that after 12 to 14 hours of, of an intermittent fast. Um, and I've been doing that for almost 20 years um, before wow. intermittent fasting was even really a thing. And it became like even scientifically studied. I just thought it was a right, like I read it once. It wasn't even really a big thing. I was like, this is a good way of being like, have my last meal around seven o'clock and don't eat until seven, eight a.m. the next morning. Like it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like I don't like to eat too late at night because then it messes with my sleep. And then typically don't wake up that early and I don't like think about food first thing in the morning. So naturally I get like a 12 hour fast and sometimes I'll play with maybe a little bit longer, you know, 14 hours, 15 hours. So the athletic greens, intermittent fasting on a regular basis, drinking water. And then, you know, uh, last but not least is gratitude. I've been doing a gratitude journal for about 15 years. Um, I write it in my notes on my phone. I can reference them. I sometimes like we'll pick a day and go back like five years or 10 years and see what I've got. Almost every day I write three to five things that I am grateful for. Um, and sometimes I repeat, sometimes I don't. And it's just a way to ground myself, um, you know, and living in the moment, uh, living within just this place of just pureness of just happiness, regardless of what's going on around me, whether I've had success or I've not, or I am in the middle, or I'm, just at some point of, uh, you know, just I'm stale, whatever it is, I can always find something I'm grateful for. And I highly recommend people do that. So amazing, brother. I'm so happy you shared all those. Last but not least, where can people find you, Steve Jordan, and connect with you and learn more about you and, and pick up the book? Yeah, stevejordan.com um, is my website. You can find the book there. You can find more about me um, and learn about some of the things. Uh, the book is also available on Amazon. It's in Kindle form only. Um, so you can go to Amazon, Steve Jordan, 22 ways to optimal health and fitness in the Kindle version. Uh, please leave review. There's no reviews on there yet. I just got this book out. Um, and this is one of my first podcasts. So I'm excited, uh, for people to read it. Um, I've sold over 150 copies already and people are Huge. writing back with some really great feedback. Um, and I've only done some very minimal marketing on it. So, um, yeah, I would love for people to share it, uh, buy it as a gift for a holiday, um, I will autograph it uh, personally, and I will write a little note to you in there as well if you write me. So, um, yeah, you can email me at steve at stevejordan.com, Instagram, Steve Jordan um, Fitness, and uh, Steve Jordan Lifestyle. So um, let me know. Amazing stuff. Yeah. And, and everybody, please go buy the book and definitely leave a review. It's so important for for authors and, and how the algorithm works. And, you know, it's not me about pumping up. I don't care about pumping up Steve, but this is a guy you clearly he cares and he, and he knows his stuff and the book is worth the read. So please leave a review so that more people can, can find it and discover it. It's just, it's a, yeah, I, I, I'd say the same thing on my podcast. You know, you're doing something to give back to others. It's not about us. It's about others, right? You're yeah. going to help others find this when they're searching for something that they need, they're clearly wanting that information, but because there's so much information out there, like you said, the algorithms help to find, you know, get these books pushed up to the top of the surface. So when someone who is in need looking for it, they'll be able to find it. So you're going to be helping other people. 100%. That's, that's one way you can start implementing a little bit of gratitude in your life. Folks. Absolutely. The law of giving, receiving, when you give more, you get more. Awesome. Steve, thanks so much for being on the show, brother. I appreciate you, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Joel. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work.